We're going to read from God's Word. Uh, we're going to read from John chapter 4, verse 1 down to verse 30. A passage that's well known by, by many of us here, but uh, just a wonderful, wonderful uh, piece of Scripture. Let's read from God's Word. John chapter 4, verses 1 down to verse 30. Now, when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, Although Jesus himself did not baptize, but only his disciples. He left Judea and departed again for Galilee. And he had had to pass through Samaria. So he came to a town called Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. So Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. A woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, asks for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews had no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, You would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. Jesus said to her, Go, call your husband and come here. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, You are right in saying I have no husband. For you have had five husbands, and the one you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know. For salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here. When the true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit. And those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. The woman said to him, I know that the Messiah is coming. He who is called the Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. Just then his disciples came back. They marveled that he was talking with a woman. But no one said, what do you seek? Or why are you talking with her? So the woman left her water jar and went away into the town and said to the people, come see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? They went out of the town and were coming to him. 
Amen. What we do in this moment of our service isn't just meant to be a biblical lecture or uh, an information sharing exercise, but when we have a sermon, what should happen, what should happen in a sermon is that it should invoke change in the hearer's heart by the activity of the Holy Spirit through the foolishness of what the preacher utters. As I stand here, I don't tell you information that I think is interesting, but what we do in this moment is we gather around God's word, we exposit it, we search it, we, we explore it, and in doing so we believe that God's word is, is sharper than any double-edged sword. And actually, I don't want you just to go away from here with more information in your head, but actually, we want to be changed as individuals. So maybe that's something that we need to do as we sit. As the sermon begins, maybe we should begin to say, we pray to ourselves, Lord, speak to me, shape me, change me by your word. By the foolishness of what Norman's about to say, Lord, would you use it for the advancement of your kingdom? And I, my prayer is this morning that as we gather around John chapter 4 and as we search it and explore it, that actually it would challenge us, it would change us, and that we would implement what we hear as a church and we would start to live it out. This morning, friends, there is a call for us as a congregation to become more missional. To become more missional. To become a better missional people. What does mission mean? In the most simple way it is this. That we will become a people more and more. Who share the gospel of Jesus Christ. With people who are around us. Mission though is costly. Mission is sacrificial. Mission gets messy. Mission is incarnational. Mission is biblical and it is an essential part of the believer's life and on the calling that God has placed upon his bride, upon his church. Now as soon as we speak about mission and, and about missionaries, maybe our heads go to the, the, the great missionaries of yesteryears. We think of, of the likes of Hudson Taylor or, or David Livingston and we think about you know, leaving everything behind and heading off overseas and, and going to poor places and, and helping them build schools and, and things like that. And, and yes, that's a part of mission, but friends, the reality is that Scotland needs mission and missionaries now more than ever before. We need missionaries. We need the church to wake up, to step up, and get out there and tell people about Jesus. What we see in Scotland is, is quite a poor spiritual state, actually. We hear about churches being in decline. We hear about churches closing their doors. Churches being sold to become pubs and clubs and different places. And maybe we, we think, well, if that's happening in Scotland, that's probably happening everywhere else in the world. That's not true. The church is growing in incredible ways and at an incredible speed in places like Africa and Iran. Places where it's illegal to be a Christian there are people who are just giving everything they have to Jesus and saying, I don't care what the cost is. I need to follow Jesus. I need to be a Christian. I need to be saved. 
But that's not fully our story here in this nation, is it? If anything, what we see is that we're getting further and further away from God's truth. We see it in Parliament. We see it in decisions. We see it even being preached in pulpits. Where people are saying, do what you want. Live how you want. Do whatever you like to do. Friends, what happens then when salt loses its saltiness? I don't want to be part of that. We're called to be salt and light. But let's think of our own Church of Scotland example, we see an alarming decline in the C of S. Really, really scary decline. Now, we could, you know, we could stand here for, I could stand here for hours and get on my hobby horse and talk about why that's the case. Why there's only, why some churches are struggling to get 10 people on a Sunday morning now in Glasgow. 10 people. And I could tell you why I think that is. But I don't want to look out there. I want us to look in here this morning and look at Sandy Hills. Look at ourselves. Focus on us. Friends, my third sermon that I preached here over four years ago, it was entitled The Great Co-Mission. Jesus gave us commission, go out to the ends of the world and make disciples. And actually, we're part of that. It's a co-mission. We join in with, 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 with what God is doing. And in it, I gave us a call to become more missional as a church. That changes would need to happen. We'd need to rethink things and be creative. And, and we, would, we would stick firm to God's word because we never leave God's word. It's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And we preach it, and we preach it, and we live it, and we live it. But friends, we need to become more accessible. And we talked about becoming more missionally focused and more missionally minded. And I look from then to now and I think we have. We are more missional as a church. We see the growth. We see the changes. We see new faces. We see new people. And it's great. But friends, there's more that we need to do. There's so much. Look around you. How many empty seats are in here? There's so much space. And there's so many people out there who need Jesus. Friends, I said earlier that mission is costly, and we've seen it here. As we've become more missional as a church, we've seen the cost. We've had people leave the church because they don't like the change. It cost us people, it's cost us our friends that we sat beside on a Sunday. It's been costly, and it's been painful. It's been hard for them, and it's been hard for us. I don't know about you, but being more missionally minded in the last four years has cost me sleep, it's cost me tears. It's cost. It's costly to be missionally. We, we said it's it, being missional minded. It's, it's, it, it's sacrificial. We see the sacrifices that we've had to make. As we've looked, become more um, outward focused and, and, and more accessible and more um, reaching people in our community. We, 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 we live stream all of our services now. And there's people here this morning because of that. That was a missional idea. That's why we did it. So we could reach more people with the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. We employed a youth pastor. We stepped out in faith. There were sacrifices that we've had to make. Some of us have had to dig, dig deeper in our pockets for that to be the case. But mission is sacrificial. Mission gets messy, I said. When we start to engage with the world and we start to bring this gospel out of the four um, walls of our church and go into our community and speak to people and tell them about Jesus, pastoral issues rise up. 
even perish the thought that people who aren't like us might even come here on a Sunday morning. It gets messy. Mission is incarnational. What I mean by that, we, we think about the incarnation, we think about Jesus leaving heaven and coming to earth, and, and we see that missional um, principle where, friends, we can't just sit here, we have to go to where people are. Friends, our first holiday club that we ran while I was here, I think there was eight children at it. Eight kids. Why? Because, because the hard truth is this. We weren't a church who was in our community. Do you know what scared me? The amount of people that said to me, I didn't know there was a church on Bayliston Road. But as we get up and go out, as we reach out to people, as we try to impact our community, as we go out there and, and, and start to tell people about Jesus and become trying to bless our community and do lots of things for our community, people have gone, oh, there is a church on Bayliston Road. What are they all about? And there's people here as a result of that, which is wonderful. The mission is incarnational. Friends, we have to go to them. And last week we thought about how, how do we know we're saved. We thought about that blessed assurance that we can have in Christ. And friends, here's the thing. We said it with the boys and girls, and I'll say it again just now. If you're in Jesus this morning, there's a calling on your life to be an ambassador for him. It's not an option. It is a calling he places on his people. To be light, to be salt, and to be ambassadors for him. And friends, if we really believe this Bible stuff that we're talking about Sunday by Sunday and during the week, if we really believe it, if we really believe that there is salvation in Christ, that there is a, a heaven to gain and a hell to shun, well, why are we not telling more people about it? Because it's not just good news for us, is it? It's good news for our community and our parish as well. And this world needs good news. This world needs good news. And I want this morning to look at one of the most simple, but probably one of the most effective missional principles. Because actually, friends, and I do it myself, I go, well, do you know, that's okay for, you know, the super Christians or, or the Christians who've been on the journey for loads and loads of years or, or the people who are really good at talking or the extroverts or, or people like that. And, and often what we do, friends, is we disqualify ourselves. But what we see this morning from this amazing encounter with Jesus and the woman at the well is that actually if she can do it, we can do it. And this is the principle that I want us to hear and adopt and implement. That mission is invitational. There is an invitation that we have to give to people. At the heart of the Christian faith, there is an invitation. An invitation to repent. An invitation to be born again. An invitation to be filled with the Holy Spirit. An invitation into the wonderful things that God has in store for his people. An invitation to life and life in all of its fullness. An invitation into eternal life through Christ. Many of us, we've heard that invitation. We've responded to it. We said, yes, Jesus, I'll follow you. So what now? What do we learn from this encounter at the well? 
Well, verse 6, we see that Jesus is sitting uh, by a well, uh, and we'll read it at the sixth hour of the day. Sixth hour of the day is about noon in, in um, old uh, kind of timings. It'd be about noon, noon time where Jesus is sitting here. He's wearied, and as he sits down at this well, this woman um, from, from Samaria um, comes alongside, and she looks to go and, and draw water herself. Now, a well, so you know, um, in ancient times would have been a place of encounter. It was a place where communities would gather. It was a bit of a community event. You'd go and get your water together, and it was a place of encounter. And what we see here is this beautiful encounter that Jesus has with this woman who has baggage in her life. We see that from the, the verses that we've read. There's, there's shame in her life. There's baggage. There's things that she carries. And maybe you think, well, so what? She's gone to the well. Jesus has gone to the well. What's the big deal? Well, the thing is, friends, it would normally have been the woman who would have gone to gather the water. And they would have done it as a community event. And they would go either first thing in the morning or last thing at night. Why? Because it's cooler at those times. And what we see this woman do here is she goes by herself at one of the hottest points of the day. And in doing so, she's avoiding people. But she couldn't outrun or avoid Jesus. Jesus is sitting there waiting for her. Why is she avoiding people? Why is she going at the hottest point of the day? Because of the shame that we've spoken about in her life. We see it in verse 16 where Jesus says, go call your husband. She's going to say, I have no husband. Um, and then Jesus says, and he speaks into her life. He says, I know you have no husband and you've had five and the one that you're living with now, he, he isn't your husband. And Jesus doesn't look past her shame. He doesn't ignore it, but he puts his finger right on it because it's something he wants to deal with. I said mission gets messy because actually when we reach out to people, they have lives. There's stuff going on. And what we see here is the mercy that Jesus shows her. Because mercy isn't about God ignoring our wrongs or our shame. He doesn't ignore our mistakes. But mercy is God knowing full well who we are, what we've done, and still loving us in spite of our mistakes. But here's the wonderful thing about mercy. In God's love, he doesn't leave us in our sin. He doesn't leave us in our shame. He doesn't leave us in our mistakes. But actually, he looks to transform our lives and show us there is more. I have more for you. And it's a missional principle that we need to adopt, friends, and that we need to know. That Jesus isn't sitting in a stuffy synagogue somewhere because if he was, he would never have come across this woman. Their paths would never have crossed. But Jesus goes right to where she is in her shame while she's avoiding people at the hottest point of the day and Jesus is sitting there, and he just begins to talk to her, and he offers her living water. It's really uh, quite beautiful. And this is the principle we need to know, friends, is that we can't just be sitting here waiting for people to come. Those days are long gone. But actually, what we see Jesus do here is he goes right to where that woman is. And there's a calling that God places on us as his followers that actually we need to go to where people are. We need to go to where they are. We need to meet people where they are at. So where are the wells in our community? 
Where are the places of encounter that take place in our community? Where do people gather? Because they certainly aren't gathering here at Sunday at half past ten. So where are they? And actually, what we do is we come here, we worship, we get topped up, we praise the Lord, and then we go. And we go and we bring what we have. We, we, we bring what God has given us and we pour it out upon our community. Where are the wells in our community? Where are the places of encounter? Where do people meet? How do we as a church have a presence where people gather organically and encounter one another? But actually, friends, if you're in Christ this morning, the other thing is this. You are meant to be a well. You are meant to be a place where people encounter Jesus. Because he lives in you. He's given you his spirit. You're an ambassador for him. You represent him. And as people see you, actually what they should see is Jesus. Friends, you are the well of your family. You might be the only Christian in your house. You might be the only follower of Jesus in your family or your workplace. But don't be despondent about that. Don't be downhearted about that. God has a presence in your family, in your home, and in your workplace through you. So be a place of encounter for Jesus with people. Point to him. And it's not just the physical places where God meets us, but actually he meets us whatever's going on within our head, within our lives, and within our families. Jesus met this woman right in the middle of her shame, right in the midst of her disgrace. And Jesus, in his mercy, looks to deal with our sin and our shame. We've seen that. He says, go and call your husband. Jesus knows she doesn't have a husband. But in doing so, he begins that conviction that touches our hearts. And friends, God's conviction is always quoted in his grace and his mercy. It is never to make you feel bad about yourself that God touches your heart and touches a shame problem or a sin problem or a mistake. He doesn't do it to make you feel bad about yourselves. But he does it to show you, actually, I have so much more. Give me that problem. Give me that shame. Lay it down and enter into the fullness of life that I have for you. See, friends, this is something that we need to get right. Because Jesus doesn't allow her sin or her shame to become a stumbling block for encountering him. But he also doesn't affirm her lifestyle. Friends, when we do mission, we meet people where they are. That means baggage and all. Shame included. Mistakes included. We don't say, right, go get your life sorted, go get all of those problems that you have, go and sort all those things and then come to church because actually this is a place full of perfect people. Praise the Lord, that's not the case. But actually, friends, what this is, it's a hospital. People who are broken, people who are hurting, people who know actually, I, I, need, I need something. And that something is Jesus. Don't let your sin and your shame get in the way, but let Jesus touch your heart. And in his grace and his mercy, let him deal with it. And we see he offers this woman living water. You'll never thirst again, eternal life. Why did this woman come to the well? Well, she came for water, didn't she? And what I love is that we see Jesus meets our needs. 
Again, a great missional principle. Jesus meets the needs that we have. He speaks our language. He knows what's going on. Jesus knows the problems in your life. And he wants to meet them. He wants to address them. He offers, this lady comes for, for, for water from this ancient well. Jesus offers, says, you know, if you knew who you're talking to, you could have asked for um, water and I would have given you living water and it would have bubbled up and overflown into eternal life. Friends, I don't know what you're searching for in this life. You might find pleasure in the world, but you will only find satisfaction in Christ. Sin is so pleasing to the eye for a moment. But friends, there is no lasting satisfaction in the ways of this world. Only Jesus can give us water that means we will never thirst again. And in receiving Jesus' invitation, I, I, I love this. This woman's come for water, the hottest point of the day. She obviously, they needed water, okay? So she's come and she's come to gather water. She meets Jesus. Jesus in, interacts with her. She encounters Jesus. She hears his invitation to eternal life. Jesus um, touches her heart. He, he begins to transform her. And what do we see? Actually, what she came for, she leaves behind. Because in verse 28, we read, so the woman left her water jar. Actually, she forgot all about it. Because actually Jesus was greater. So actually the water that she'd come for, that water, that would have meant that she would have thirsted again. She didn't even need that anymore. Because actually she had living water now. She left her water jar and off she goes. And in hearing this invitation from Jesus, and this is what I want us to hear this morning, she now becomes an invitation giver. Verse 29. Come see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can he be the Christ? She didn't get it all. She didn't have systematic theology all mapped out. She hadn't read the Bible start to, to end. But she knew that this person who she'd met, this one that she'd met at the well, had actually he touched her heart in a way that no one else had ever touched her heart before. That actually in a way that she would never be the same. She was the very beginning of this journey with Christ. But actually she was so excited. She was so built up. She was so enthusiastic that actually what Jesus has done for me, I need to tell other people about this. Other people need to hear about this living water. Actually I'm leaving my water jar because that will just slow me down. I'll be running around carrying a jar full of water. I'll leave it. Who cares about that? Actually what's more important is that people hear about Jesus. Come and see a man. Oh, I wish we would see that desire and passion in our nation once again. Come and see. When was the last, friends, let's be honest here. When was the last time we said, come and see? When was the last time you said to somebody, come and see? Come and hear about this Jesus. And friends, I don't say that to make you feel bad about yourself. I don't say that to, to make you feel small. But I say it as an invitation. Friends, let us be a church who says, do you know what? We've encountered the grace, the amazing grace of Jesus. He's touched our hearts. He's blessed us. He's moving in ways that actually maybe we never thought was even possible. But Lord, actually, I don't want to be a hoarder of the things and the blessings that you've given me. Friends, there are too many churches that hoard the blessings of God. They lock them away in cupboards. What we need in this land once again 
as a bride, as a people, maybe we don't fully understand it. We don't get everything. Maybe we've just began to encounter Christ's transformative love. But we know it's real. We know it makes a difference. Friends, let us be a church full of invitation givers. Come and see a man. Come and see and hear about this Jesus. He's made a difference in my life. And I can't give you all the answers. I can't explain everything to you. I don't know all the catechisms. I don't even know what we do at parts in our service. I don't understand everything Norman speaks about. Norman doesn't even understand everything he speaks about. But actually, there's something in it. There's a presence there on a Sunday morning that I've never encountered, never felt anywhere else. It's a peace that speaks so loud to my heart. There's love that I've never felt before. And actually, there's change in my life and I can't explain it. I want to read the Bible. I want to go to Alpha. I want to be around Christians. I'm praying more. Come and see this man. Because if it's good enough for me, Surely it's good enough for them. And friends, perhaps we are seeing a decline in Scotland. Not because Christianity isn't relevant anymore. Not because the gospel's lost its power. Because the gospel's as powerful now as it was when Jesus first spoke it and lived it. But perhaps we're seeing a decline. Because the body of Christ in this nation have stopped saying, come and see. And each one of us can do that. That's not a hard thing to do. Each one of us engage with at least one person in the week who have something wrong or troubles or, 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 or need in their life. Come and see. Come and be part of what God is doing in Sandy Hills Parish Church. This woman didn't find Jesus and then sit at the well having a Bible study. As good as Bible studies are, this woman ran. She went to go and tell people, left her water jar, and she went to where people were. Come and see. And what do we read just in closing in verse 30? They went out of the town and were coming to him. This woman whose life was driven and controlled by shame, avoiding people all of her days, actually the shame had gone because the transformative love of the Lord Jesus Christ had touched her heart to the point where I don't care what people think about me. I don't care what people are going to say about all these husbands I've had and how I'm now living outside of wedlock. I don't care about those things. Actually, what I care is I want people to know that there's something about this man. Can he be the Christ? Off she went and said, come and see. And friends, this takes more than a minister. This takes more than a minister and a youth pastor and a Kirk session. Friends, I need you. There are places that you can get to, people that you can encounter and engage with that I will never come across. And actually, you have a responsibility to be a well, to be a place of encounter for the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. But greater than my need of you, it's God's calling upon his bride. 
And we close with verse 39. Many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. I pray, friends, that in a hundred years' time, that what's said about this church is that many people in the east end of Glasgow believed because of the testimony of the members and the people of Sandy Hills Parish Church. Let us be effective for Christ in this place. Let us not hold on to what he's given us, but let us give it away. Freely we have received, freely we give. Let us pray. Lord, I pray each one of us would hear the call that you are giving us this morning. Lord, help us be a missional church. Lord, help us to be a people who are passionate for the lost to be saved. Lord, thank you for the work that you've done in our lives and that you are doing in our lives. But God, give us the boldness and the courage to say, come and see, come and hear, come and experience, come and meet the risen Christ. And Lord, would many believe? And Lord, we ask this not in pride, but Lord, would many believe because of the foolishness of our endeavors? Would many in the east end of Glasgow believe because of our testimony. Lord, not for our pride, not for our name, but for your glory, so that the Lamb would receive the reward that he is due. God, I thank you for what you're doing in this place. And God, I pray that you would continue to, to do it. And, and actually, Lord, it would get so big that even if we tried to contain it, we couldn't. And Lord, just as we see in the movie Narnia, when Aslan is running around breathing on the statues and they become unfrozen, Lord, would that be a prophetic image of our community? That the Lord Jesus Christ would be at work, breathing his life into areas where there's hardness, coldness, and death. Lord, would your life, would your eternal life that you give so freely, would it spring up in us and overflow, we pray. In your precious name, we ask these things. Amen.